Ban food and sex for a year? It's practically a self-inflicted regicide. I'm Kevin Leeson. Game of Thrones. It's musical chairs with swords. I'm Torrin Atkinson. It is too early to thank God. I'm Chris Primus. Assassins vs. King. Another meeting of the Privy Council. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. Part one of a new ongoing series, the Caustic Aside Guy. Aside? What does that mean? Well, I think uh, we're going to do an ongoing series where we delve into topics that end with I-C-I-D-E. Oh, suicide, homicide. Fratricide, patricide. And today, we're going to deal with regicide. That's when Reginald was killed. (laughs) That's when Archie has finally had too goddamn much. (laughs) Should have happened on issue two. Oh. Uh, yet regicide is actually references the uh, the killing of a monarch, mm-hmm. a ruler, a king. Okay. Uh, we we there is actually another term, a tyrannicide, right. for those folks who were tyrants and ruled a nation. Oh, I thought it was when you killed a dinosaur. So there's so much material here that we've subdivided it. We've got regicides, which yeah. are hereditary monarchs, and you got tyrannicides for people who took power mm-hmm. by force of arms, like a Julius Caesar. Okay. Right? And, and then they were murdered, and that's a tyrannicide. So we're no. talking about kings, but not emperors? Uh, no, kings and emperors, they're just titles. They basically mean the same thing. Okay. We're talking about kings versus... Her- hereditary leaders, really, yeah. I think Her- is, is the thing. Heredi- hereditary massive power leaders. That's exactly what we're talking about. Cool. Now, if you get Tyrannosaurus regicide, is that when you kill a king with a T-Rex? <laughs> Or is that when you kill a king who has little tiny arms? No, that's a king that is a, a thunder lizard. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? You know, he rules <laughs> uh, with, uh, yeah, tiny arms. A regicide is attributed to the 1540s from Latin, rex, uh, you know, a genitive from regis, meaning king, plus sidium. Regis. Which means a killing, a killing of a king. So it's kind of all in the title. Cilium? Sidium. Sidium. C-I-D-I-U-M. Of course. Uh, The word regicide came into popular use amongst foreign Catholics when Pope Sixtus V renewed the solemn bull of excommunication against the crowned regicide Queen Elizabeth I for executing Mary, Queen of Scots in 1587. Pope who? Uh, Pope Sixtus V. Uh, Elizabeth had originally been excommunicated by Pope Pius V for converting England to Protestantism after the reign of Mary I of England, a.k.a. Bloody Mary. That sounds like a bunch of solemn bull. (laughs) Uh, Now we have a guest. Do indeed. uh, We're joined with uh, Chris Pramus, who was our resident expert in both the Hitler and Pirate episodes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Hello. And today he's in the studio as opposed to via Skype. We can see his face when we make jokes and let him know that we're just kidding. (laughs) So, Chris, uh, what exactly are your bona fides? Have you killed a king? Are you a king yourself? (laughs) Well, I can't even claim to be king of the nerds because that's Will Wheaton. So, Uh, no, uh I'm not a king. I went to graduate school for history. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty knowledgeable in history. I I published the um, Game of Thrones role-playing game, uh, a Song of Ice and Fire role-playing, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And as fans of the books and show know, there's some regicide going on there. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that in the pop culture segment. This is like paved with a road of regicide. The the Game of Thrones is really killing kings so you get the throne. (laughs) Yeah, right. The road to the throne is paved with regicides. Do you get extra experience points when you kill a king? Sure. Yeah, yeah, why not? I'm in. Mm-hmm. Really, it's like a bit in the game, like you score a point when you kill a king, I think is how it works. <laughs> like, oh, score one for the Targaryens. <laughs> the original meaning of regicide was actually to refer to the person who had committed the act. But through over time, it actually came to mean the act itself as well. So, like, they would call a person who You damned the king, regicide. You've been convicted of regicide, right? Or right. you're the regicide... Committed regicide. You're not the regicidar or something like that? Yeah, Regicider? Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Two of the more famous regicides, people who have been... uh, Personages. Personages who have killed kings, uh, are Elizabeth I, uh, who ordered the death of Mary, Queen of Scots. 
How did that go about? Well, Mary was a Catholic and she was the Queen of Scotland, hence the name Queen of Scots. Uh, and Elizabeth was a Protestant. So they constantly had sort of factions that were backing them that kind of wanted them to overthrow the other and like turn their country into a Protestant or Catholic nation as well, right? So Mary on her, was on her way to Edinburgh in uh, 1567 when she was abducted by Lord Bothwell, who at the time was accused of murdering her husband, Lord Darnley. Who had, she, he took her to Dunbar Castle where he may have raped her. And then on the 15th of May of the same year, one month later, they were married according to Protestant rites. Where after Bothwell had divorced his first wife, Jean Gordon, 12 days earlier. So Bothwell liked to move. (laughs) He did not. He was not a patient man. I'm sure that was totally legit in the eyes of the law. Well, I mean, this was actually the problem is that the the Scottish nobles didn't really like this because uh, Bothwell was Protestant and the queen was Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of like, okay, this is an attempt at a Protestant takeover of Scotland. Well, considering he's divorced. Catholics hate divorce. Protholic. Or Cathistant? That's <laughs> oh, not how it works. You figure there would be a, you know, emerging yeah. of like political party style. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, so the uh, the nobles actually raised an army against Mary, and she had to flee in 1568 to England to get away from them. And uh, she thought that Elizabeth was going to help her get back her throne. But Elizabeth and her, her peeps kind of thought that she had designs on the English throne as well. So they stuck her in a castle named Tutbury which was in the interior of England, halfway between Scotland and London and distant from any sea. So she was kind of, you know... Sequestered. Sequestered, plopped in the middle of nowhere. Uh, So this happened in 1568. In 1586, so 18 years of confinement later, Mm -hmm. uh, Mary was arrested after being implicated in the Babington plot uh, in a successful attempt to entrap her. uh, The chief advisor of... Elizabeth Walsingham had deliberately arranged for Mary's letters to be smuggled out in code. Mary was misled into thinking her letters were secure, while in reality, Walsingham was deciphering them and reading them. And from these letters, it was clear that Mary had sanctioned an attempted assassination of Elizabeth. I think she was just tired of being locked up in her bedroom and was like, I'll do anything to get out of here. Kill Elizabeth. You know, do whatever you got to do. I need yeah. to get set freed, right? So Mary was convicted of, uh, of attempted regicide on 25th of October. Uh, 1586, and sentenced to death with only one commissioner, Lord Zoosh, which sounds like a Star Wars name. <laughs> Zoosh. Yeah. <laughs> Expressing That's... any form of dissent. Instead of taking the word invader and something, just take the word douche and turn <laughs> evil. Lord Douche. <laughs> How about Zoosh? That works. Did he have trouble breathing? Like, I'm Lord Zoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly sounds, uh, you know, nefarious. Or he'd be the kind of guy who'd always be, what are you guys doing? That doesn't look very fun. <laughs> well, he was the guy who actually said, let's not kill Mary. And oh. everybody else was, no, no, let's kill her. Uh, Elizabeth hesitated to order the execution because she was concerned that the killing of a queen set a bad precedent. <laughs> you know, and being a queen, you know, you kind of like, yeah. you know, she doesn't want to lay any groundwork. Job security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As well, she was worried that um, Mary's son, James, would form an alliance with other Catholic powers and invade England if it was carried out. Um Elizabeth asked Mary's final custodian, a guy named Paulette, if he would contrive a clandestine way to shorten the life of Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Feed her these cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which he refused to do on the grounds that he would not make, he would not, and I quote, make a shipwreck of my conscience or leave so great a blot on my poor posterity. Oh, wow. So on the 1st of February, 1587, Elizabeth signed Mary's death warrant. I like how his conscience is a boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's like he personified it. The executioner was named Bull. So uh, obviously the character from Night Court. Court? Yes. <laughs> okay, now I get the picture. Yeah. Uh, he knelt before Mary and asked her for forgiveness, to which she replied, I forgive you with all my heart, for now I hope you shall make an end to all my troubles. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. Bull Shannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary was not beheaded with a single strike. Damn it, Bull, so- you had one job. <laughs> Not only that, like he, he asked her, forgave you. He should have asked her for forgiveness after screwing up the first strike. That's when he should have asked for forgiveness. Maybe, maybe he did that. Sorry. <laughs> it like, happens. Oh, it's all right. I, I forgive <laughs> and my suffering. Hey, hey, it uh, happens to every executioner once. <laughs> yeah. The first blow missed her neck and struck her in the back of the head. I wonder if she just had a really small neck. 
Perhaps, or she had lots of those ruffles, those so it was ruffles, hard to like confusing. find it, right? Yeah. Uh, the second blow severed the neck, except for a small bit of sinew, which the executioner then cut through using the axe. Afterward, he held her head aloft and declared, God save the queen. Uh, but at that moment, it became clear that she was wearing a wig because the head fell out of the oh, wig to the ground. What a debacle. <laughs> and yeah. Mary herself had short gray hair. Well, good thing she didn't live to see that. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag. The other great regicide in English history was Oliver Cromwell. Lord Protector of England. Uh, Lord Protector of England after he had Charles I killed. Who I mostly know about because of uh, that song on the Monty Python album. Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England and his warts. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Some obscure one. I don't remember that one. So there were two English civil wars in this era. The first English civil war, parliamentarians accepted the premise that the king, although wrong had been able to justify his fight against them. But by provoking a second civil war while defeated and in captivity, Charles showed himself responsible for unjustifiable bloodshed. Charles made a secret treaty with the Scots, which was considered particularly unpardonable by Cromwell. Again, I'm going to do a Cromwell voice now. Okay. Oh, okay. A more prodigious treason than any that had been perfected before, because the former quarrel was that Englishmen might rule over one another. This was to vassalize us to a foreign nation. What does vassalize mean? Uh, turn into a vassal. Yeah, turn them to servants. Like then the Scots would be ruling over Englishmen. So what does Vaseline mean? <laughs> uh, it's, it's to serve a purpose. You know, it it serves to make you slippery. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. It, it eases the new monarch in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, the Charles was firmly up the rectum of the Scots, evidently. Here, put this on your chains. It'll make them chafe less. <laughs> so Charles was accused of treason against England by using his power to pursue, pursue personal interest rather than the good of England. Or it's possible that Vaseline is like gasoline made out of vassals. Oh. Oh. Over thousands of years, millions and millions of years, <laughs> enough vassals would become petrol. Uh, or at least a petroleum byproduct. Uh, so um, Charles was accused of treason against England by using his power to pursue personal interest rather than the good of the country. The indictment against the king therefore held him guilty of all the treasons, murders, rapines, burnings, spoils, desolations, damages, and mischiefs to the nation acted and committed in the said war. When urged to enter a plea, Charles stated his rejection with the words, I would know by what power I am called hither, by what lawful authority. You can't get the king for breaking the law. I am the law. (laughs) Totally. He had a Judge Dredd moment right there. Yeah. Or a George W. Bush moment. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Charles Stewart was found guilty and beheaded on the 30th of January, 1649. Before the execution, he wore warmer clothing to prevent the cold weather from causing any noticeable shivers that the crowd uh, could have mistaken for fear or weakness. But, he was, but then he was sweating so much because <laughs> of all the yeah. layers. Like, look how nervous, oh, look he, how nervous is. he is. <laughs> I just uh, can't win. if you do. It was, if you don't. And it, to top it off, I'm going to die. <laughs> it was common practice for a beheaded traitor, his head to be held up and exhibited to the crowd with the words, Behold the head of a traitor! Although Charles's head was exhibited, the words were not used, and in an unprecedented gesture... Cromwell allowed the king's head to be sewn back onto his body so that the family could pay its respects. Nice. Uh, I'm going to thank our intern, Amy, for this little tidbit mm-hmm. of information. Mm-hmm. She yeah, kind of threw that one into the mix. Mm-hmm. I also have a good tidbit about this one. Oh, lay it on us. All right. There was this whole period of Cromwell being a dictator and whatnot. And then the emphasis on dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then the monarchy was ultimately restored. Mm. Um, and uh, they went after uh, the men who voted to execute Charles I. Yeah, there were like and, there were like 60 men that signed the death warrant. Yeah, the but there were like warrant. 21 or something like that who were still alive by the time. Um, the the crown was restored, and so many of them were tried and you know horribly murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, but two of them actually fled to America and settled in New Haven, Connecticut. Oh so, wow! Yeah. Hence the name New Haven. Like they took, <laughs> you know, uh, this sounds like a good place we should go. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, let's hide not out go here. to Murderland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in France, at the time, the judicial pen- penalty for regicides was especially. No hard. kidding. No kidding. Like, uh-huh. who gets to make the rules? I guess that's true. When the, then the king or the king's successor is like, oh, that guy's going to get just, it. Just so you know, killing me, that's the worst. A regicide was tortured so as to make him tell the names of his accomplices. However, the method of execution itself could be considered a form of torture. Uh, here's the description of the death of Robert, Robert Francois Damien, who had attempted to kill Louis XV. 
He was, oh, I'm gonna do, I gotta do a French accent for this one, right? He was first tortured with red hot pincers. <laughs> okay, but but Parisian French, not Quebecois, Quebecois French. I only got one kind of French. Okay, <laughs> I apologize to everybody from France. His hand holding the knife used in the attempted murder was burnt using sulfur. Oh. Molten wax, lead, and boiling oil were poured into his wounds. Orsets oh. were then harnessed to his arms and legs for dismemberment. <laughs> uh, call back to our horses <laughs> yes, episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Damien's joints would not break so after some hours <laughs> after some hours <laughs> he was being drawn and quartered for hours uh, representatives of the parliament ordered the executioner and his aides to cut Damien's joint okay Damien was then dismembered to the applause of the crowd well, they've been waiting for hours I no know. kidding exactly it's like when is this dismemberment I'm, gonna end I'm out of popcorn it's like how I felt in the Burt Wonderstone movie does, now does that mean he has more arthritis that keeps them together or would arthritis make it weaker I don't know I think it's ligaments I think it's... his ligaments were like chains were like cables uh, his trunk, apparently still living, was then burnt at the stake. So mm. that doesn't sound fun. That sounds the like ordeal. the opposite of fun. Yeah, uh, William Wallace, uh, the subject of, uh, of Braveheart, mm. uh, was also killed in a similar way. Right. Uh, so that scene in the movie where they just show his face and he's like, freedom. <laughs> like by this point, they've like been pulling his guts out pulling of his, his intestines. Yeah. Out of pulling his, his intestines out. And then I believe he was drawn and quartered after that. Yeah. yeah. And for the four, the his body was spread to the four corners of the kingdom or yeah. something like that. I'm sure it was a good show though. So well, they didn't have TV. They must've had an then. intermission in, in this one. It took so long. <laughs> yeah, an intermission. No kidding. It's like popcorn break. Right. All right, so now does, I'm going to... Does he get a corner coach? Like, do they prop him up with his guts spilling out and mop down his brow? Okay, we got an intermission now. You're going to have to scream a little louder because the people aren't buying that you're in pain. Come on, put on a good show for us, buddy. Or Come it's on. like Weekend at Bernie's where he actually is dead, but <laughs> yeah. they're like pretending that he's alive. Nice, nice. So uh, I'm now going to get into sort of the, the big, well, maybe not even necessarily the most famous, but the most Caustic regicides that I could find in my research. Right. There are lots cool. of lots of regicides. Yes. I mean, too many to mention. Well, we've basically had regicide as long as we've had kings, which is pretty much all of human history. Okay. I, through my research, I kind of focused on things after the 16th century. And I think for, for because they were the most caustic, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for two reasons. Because before the 16th century, it was kind of, if you're going to commit a regicide, it's sort of just either stab or poison. That was really right. the only two <laughs> options. And they, Boring. And, yeah, and assassins kind of got more creative, you know, after the 16th century. You had a lot other methods that you could use, and it kept it really interesting. Okay. And as well, when we're talking about, like, the ancient, like, from the Romans or earlier, you know, the there weren't a lot of historians. And there wasn't a lot of written records. So the details are kind of sketchy. Right. So you can only talk about it in broad strokes. And, uh, you know, in the, the modern era. The devil's in the details, yeah, it, my well, friend. Caustic soda's in the details. <laughs> so, you know, just uh, just be aware that they were, I'm focusing on the modern era for, I think, some very good reasons. I'd like to start with Alexander II of Russia. I'm not going to do this chronologically. I'm going to do this in order of my favorites to least favorites. Alexander II was a reformer monarch. A bunch of things that he did. Uh, he emancipated the serfs. He instituted universal conscription and included the noble class, so it was no longer just the peasants that could be conscripted. He built strategic railways. He banned the branding of soldiers as punishment. He created a judge and jury system, and he encouraged Finland's autonomy and established Finnish as a national language and led the charge of gaining Bulgarian independence from the Ottoman Empire. Well, this so, bastard's going to have to die. By all accounts, a good guy. Yeah, see, well. And yet... And yet, mm-hmm. out of everybody that I researched, the most assassination attempts out of anybody. Oh, wow. So He must have had a family. He must have had a, it was like one guy always trying to kill him. No, no, no. It, it was spread over a, a very long period of time because he actually ruled for quite a time in order to accomplish all those things. Uh, in 1866, early on in his reign, there was an attempt on his life in St. Petersburg. Uh, he narrowly escaped. And to commemorate this, he built a bunch of churches and chapels all over the country. Uh, in 1879, a 33-year-old former student named Alexander Soloviev approached the emperor with a revolver in his hand, and the emperor fled in a zigzag pattern. Oh, good oh. work. <laughs> Soloviev fired at him five times, Remember but your missed. training. Remember yeah. your training, yeah. Alex. Remember your monarch training. <laughs> Tactical running. Let's go. Uh, Soloviev fired five times, but he missed all five times and was hanged on the 28th of May. This I, I put the date of his hanging because he fired at him on April 20th, 1879, and he was hanged on the 28th of May. Oh. No longer this appeals process in the uh, you yeah. know sentencing that we have in the modern era. 
In December 1879, so like eight months later, the Narodnaya Volaya movement, which translates to the people's will, a radical revolutionary group which hoped to ignite a social revolution, organized an explosion on the railway, but they missed the emperor's train. Explosions are so hard to really... Well, and in 1879, like, you know, you got that comically long wick that you have to light and run away, right? You know, you got to time it just right. Yeah, like the whole like time bomb or like trigger thing was not, you know, not yeah. perfected technology. You got to make the fuse and the moving train happen at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It's trigonometry totally. or something. Yeah, exactly. They, these guys would not have passed their SATs. Uh, on the fifth, that should be one of the tests. <laughs> if you light a wick, how long does the wick need to be? Yeah. The train is traveling. A train <laughs> is leaving St. Petersburg at seventy-five miles with, per hour. With Alexander the Second. You it. have a three hundred foot <laughs> class seven yeah, wick that wick. burns at one centimeter an hour. <laughs> when you do go. you have to light the wick? <laughs> um, on the fifth of February. On the fifth of February, eighteen eighty, another Narodnaya Volia operative, Stephen Kalturin set off a charge under the dining room of the Winter Palace. Being late for dinner, the emperor was unharmed, but 11 people were killed and 30 were wounded. Oh. Holy crap. Collateral damage. Yeah, collateral damage. And he had 41 people over for dinner. (laughs) Unless they were like the servants in the... Oh, I guess it could have been servants and whatnot too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He was the czar. So He had a posse. uh, Fashionably (laughs) late. (laughs) Fashionably late paid off big time on that one. Uh, but uh, as he was known to do every Sunday, the emperor traveled to and from the Mikhailovsky Manege. And in March 1881, he was in a closed carriage followed by two slaves. A young member of the Narodnaya Volia. These guys were out to get him yeah. big time. This is like three attempts in a single year. Revolution. Uh, named Nikolai Rysakov was carrying a small white package wrapped in a handkerchief. This is a quote from his confession. After a moment. Oh, can I do a Russian? After, I don't know, can you? After a moment's hesitation, I threw the bomb. I sent it under the horse's hooves. Oh, that's Scottish. <laughs> it's the Scottish again. <laughs> in, in the supposition that it would blow up under the carriage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, keep doing Sean Connery. Uh, the explosion knocked me into the fence. Now the say explosion. moose and squirrel. <laughs> moose and squirrel. There you go. Now <laughs> you get there you go. <laughs> Uh, the first explosion killed one of his Cossacks and seriously wounded a number of people on the sidewalk, but it only damaged the bulletproof carriage, which was a gift from Napoleon III of France. Oh, damn it. The king's My best giving, carriage. Yeah, that that giving, guy's going to get a thank you telegram. No kidding. Uh, the emperor emerged shaken but unhurt from the carriage, and Rysikov was captured almost immediately. However, a second member of the group, Ignacy Grinevetsky, shouted, It is too early to thank God! <laughs> <laughs> And threw a second a bomb. Good battle cry. Yeah. <laughs> and threw a second bomb at the emperor, which landed at his feet. A witness named oh, this is gonna be hard to hard to pronounce. Dvorzitsky was Dvorzitsky. later was later to write, "I was deafened by the new explosion, burned, wounded, and thrown to the ground. Suddenly, amid the smoke and snowy fog, I heard His Majesty's weak voice cry, help! Gathering what strength I had, I jumped up and rushed to the emperor. His Majesty was half lying, half sitting, leaning on his right arm." Thinking he was merely wounded, I tried to lift him, but the czar's legs were shattered and blood poured out of them. Ooh. Twenty people with wounds of varying degree lay on the sidewalk and on the street. Some managed to stand, others to crawl. Still others tried to get out from beneath bodies that had fallen on them. Through the snow, That's debris, the through the snow, debris, and blood, you could see fragments of clothing, epaulets, sabers, and bloody chunks of human flesh. I liked how he specifically earmarked epaulets. Yeah. Oh, my epaulets. <laughs> now, I want to point this out. He was inside a bulletproof carriage, mm-hmm. and a bomb went off, and he went, oh, better get out and look around. <laughs> yes. Dude. Yeah. It's kind of like that old adage. That's what adage. made him a great king. If your plane crashes, never leave the side of the plane. Maybe if a bomb goes off, don't get out of your bulletproof you, carriage. Well, I would get out of a plane because it's like on fire. Yeah. Maybe his carriage was not bulletproof, but or was bulletproof but not fireproof, and it was on fire and he had to get out. I'll give him that and benefit. It was, and it was full of jet fuel. Uh, <laughs> later on, probably from the torturing of the two conspirators that they caught, later on it was learned that there was, in fact, a third bomber in the crowd, Ivan Emelianov, who had a briefcase containing a bomb that was to be used if the other two bombers failed. So they were determined. Yes. There was no more of this Winter Palace, late for dinner kind of bullshit going down. Right. Uh, Alexander was carried by sleigh to the Winter Palace to his study where he bled to death with his legs torn away, his stomach ripped oh, open, wow. and his face mutilated. Ironically... One of Alexander's last ideas was to draft plans for an elected parliament, a Duma, which were completed the day before he died but had not yet been released to the Russian people. He planned to announce the Duma within the next 48 hours. 
So he was actually going to reform government. Yeah. He was planning on doing it. It would have been done oh. if the reformists, the socialists, hadn't killed him. So it's basically going to turn into what England was. Yeah. Uh, like a constitutional had lived, monarchy. Had he lived, Russian would have been a, become a constitutional monarchy. Uh, and Alexander III, Alexander II's successor, his very first action after his coronation was to tear up plans for the Duma and begin oppressing people double hard. And then they renamed it the Duma. <laughs> so he's a great king, but a shitty father. Is that what we're saying? Because his son just didn't get no, it. No, I'm thinking it was like, fuck these guys. Yeah, like yeah. this Duma is what these guys wanted. They just blew up my dad. Fuck them. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess so. It was kind of it was a revenge anti Dumaing. Exactly. Down with the Duma. You killed my father. Prepare to die. To die. <laughs> oh, classic. That's where it came from. Uh, switching continents. Shaka Zulu. What? King of the Zulu Nation. Subject famously. of the miniseries. Yeah. Uh, a 19th century king of the Zulu. Uh, Dingane and Malangana, I'm probably mispronouncing those, Shaka's half-brothers, made at least two attempts to assassinate Shaka before they finally succeeded. All right, here's what I want to know. If you've made two, if your brothers have made two attempts on your life, why are they still around to make a third? <laughs> right, seriously. Yeah. When you're Shaka Zulu... Well, it's super common, uh, you know, if you mean you look at all the history of people murdering each other for power, mm. it's often, you know, yeah, brothers, relatives. relatives yeah, because, you know. You've got the most vested interest. You've yeah. Got the, you're going to profit the most from the succession. Right? Oh, if my brother died, I'd become king? Whoa. But Shaka Zulu <laughs> right. was a particularly bloodthirsty dude. I mean, listen. That's to- why you keep your friends close and your siblings closer. <laughs> mm. That's how it goes, right? Well, it's like the Persians, what they would do is like when they went, when they became the Shah, they would have all their younger brothers strangled. Right. So that there would be nobody like ready to take the throne. Mm-hmm. And then they would have to start getting a son really quickly so they'd have an heir, right? Uh, but Shaka Zulu was actually a pretty bloodthirsty dude. So how his half-brothers survived these other assassination attempts is a bit of a mystery. But when, like, for example, when Shaka's mother Nandi died in his mourning period, Shaka ordered that no crops should be planted during the following year. Jesus. No milk was to be used, and it was the primary uh, basis of the Zulu diet at the time. And any woman who became pregnant was to be killed along with her husband during this year. At least 7,000 people who were deemed to be insufficiently grief-stricken were executed by Shaka Zulu, and cows were slaughtered so that calves would know what losing a mother would feel like. Oh, wow. (laughs) I didn't know he was such a mama's boy. He was a total mama's boy. So shortly after this is when the plot really kind of like gained a head of steam because we were like, I think uh, that's fair. Yeah. No, it seems actually kind of like this is one of the more justified regicides I've got on my list. So the Zulu monarch sent his army north and his half-brothers used this opportunity to come in and, uh, and attack him in 1828. A diversion was created by an Induna named Mbopa. Now, I don't know what an Induna is. I think it's another tribe. While Dingane and Malangana struck the fatal blows, Shaka's corpse was dumped into an empty grain pit and filled with stones and mud. The exact site is still unknown. Get on that. Yeah. Well, they probably didn't want his body to be marched around, kind of like, you know, try to avoid the martyrdom thing. Induna is a Zulu title meaning advisor, great leader, ambassador, headman, or commander of group of warriors. Ah, so he was like a uh, a, a, a general type. So Shaka Zula, mama's boy. Yeah. Big time. And asshole. <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, like, I mean, dude, come on. Make a holiday. Yeah. yeah. Every year <laughs> yeah. on the day of the death of my mother. Yeah. Um, have a on, feast on, day. Everybody will have a feast to remember how great she was and how much we miss her. You know, I think probably prompted the whole thing was when he said, any woman who gets pregnant will be killed along with her husband. So now nobody was having sex. And all yeah. these like super repressed guys are like, Shaka's got to go. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. It's been three days. Shaka's got to go. Three days. Well, you know, the name for that year translated means the uh, the year of sad hand jobs. So. <laughs> Lubricated with tears. Uh, the the so year of alternate entry. You could also call it that if they get a little creative. Someday 
lonely Your heart will break like mine You'll want me only After you've gone After you've gone I have the story of Umberto I of Italy. Mm. In the first year of Umberto's reign, he was attacked with a dagger by an anarchist named Giovanni Passanante during a parade in Naples in 1878, but the king warded off the blow with his saber. Wow. Oh, nice. So Got a guy came out of with a time. dagger That's, and mm-hmm. whipped out his saber and ching ching. Uh, the would-be assassin was condemned to death, even though the law only allowed the death penalty if the king was killed. But the king commuted the sentence to one of penal servitude for life. What a pal. He said penal. Yeah, except for the fact that his uh, sentence was served in a cell 1.4 meters high, without sanitation, and restrained with 18 kilograms of chains, which for our American friends is 40 pounds. 40 pounds of chains, and 1.4 meters is about four and a half feet high. And with no sanitation, all your feces will harden, so it'll be like extra chains. (laughs) (laughs) So he wasn't exactly in the most comfortable of situations. He's probably praying for death, actually, after being in this for like a while. Uh, Passanante would later die in a psychiatric institution. Still still in his box covered in 40 pounds of chains. Uh, On 7th of May, 1898. That'd be a fun cosplay. Make yourself a little 1.4 meter box covered in plastic chains. I'm Giovanni Passanante. Yeah. Everyone would get it right away. Totally. <laughs> Total awesome historical cosplay. Make it happen, so to jerks. Uh, in 1898, large demonstrations over the rising price of bread were held all over Italy. The city of Milan was put under military control by General Firenzo Bava Beccaris. General Bava Beccaris ordered the use of cannon on the demonstrators. As a result, about 100 people were killed and about 1,000 were wounded. Wow. King- I wonder, because, you know, you hear about when cannons are shot against, mm-hmm. like, a boat, most of the damage, uh, you know, most of the bodily harm comes from the splinters. I wonder if some dude gets hit by the cannon, then his bones fly everywhere oh, yeah. and get oh. in people's eyes and stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, oh, 100%. Totally. Well, when uh, when Napoleon was a uh, young artillery officer during the French Revolution, he dispersed a crowd using artillery with what he called a whiff of grape shot. So. <laughs> a whiff. Just a whiff. Yeah. King Umberto reacted to this uh, tragedy by sending a telegram to congratulate the general on restoration of order and decorated him with the Medal of Great Official of Savoy Military Order, outraging the public at large, as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. 
On the evening of 29th of July, 1900, so two years later, Umberto was assassinated when he was shot four times by the Italo-American anarchist Gaetano Breschi, who claimed he wanted to avenge the people killed during the massacre. An American anarchist, Leon Cholgotz, claimed that the assassination of Umberto was his inspiration to kill President William McKinley in 1901. Inspiring. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I learned that you could kill people in charge, (laughs) so I thought I'd do that. Yeah. This one's for you. I believe they also blamed the McKinley assassination on the inspiration of Emma Goldman. They tried to arrest her as well. Pin it on if, her. If I remember correctly. Paul I of Russia. It seems like a really pedestrian name for an emperor Paul, of Russia, Paul isn't one. it? Paul the I I bet it sounds different. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> uh, Paul. Is, he, is he Polish? I don't like that. Paul. <laughs> is he a Paul? Paul came to power in 1796 after the death of his mother, Catherine the Great with whom he'd had quite a not very pleasant relationship. They evidently didn't very like each other very much, and Catherine preferred uh, Paul's son to him to succeed her as emperor, but she didn't get to choose. Well, didn't she, isn't she the one who screwed a horse? Well, in the legend. Allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. allegedly. Uh, so Paul, when Paul came to power, he actually brought in a number of controversial policies. Another sort of reformer czar. Uh, the emperor uncovered corruption in the Russian treasury and no. resolved to correct it. <laughs> He directed reforms which resulted in greater rights for the peasantry and better treatment of serfs on agricultural estates. And he attempted to force the nobility to adopt a code of chivalry, which alienated many of his closest and trusted advisors. His policies were such an annoyance to the noble class that uh, several of his enemies were induced to plot against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he came to power in 1796. And in 1801, so he was only on the throne for five years, mm-hmm. Counts Peter Ludwig von der Pollen, Nikita Petrovich Panin and the half Spanish, half Neapolitan adventurer Admiral Rebus. Oh, anytime sort of, you say Neapolitan, it makes me want ice cream. <laughs> on the 23rd of March, 1801, Paul was murdered in his bedroom in the newly built St. Michael's Castle by a band of dismissed officers that were headed by General Benningson. They charged into his bedroom, flushed with drink, oh. and found Paul hiding behind the drapes. <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> Just They walk in. Where, where'd the emperor go? Look at those shoes. <laughs> Ignore the man behind the curtain. So they built a brand new castle for him. They didn't put a safe room in. Yeah, you think panic Come room. On. Yeah, where's, yeah, where's David Fincher when you need him? Uh, the conspirators pulled him up from behind the drapes and tried to compel him to sign an abdication. When Paul offered resistance, one of the assassins struck him with a sword, after which he was strangled and trampled, trampled to death. Trampled to death. Yeah, that's a... That's, uh, I would not want to be trampled to death. I think trampling is definitely on my lowest favorite ways to go. Is that like they threw him under horses or they themselves? Oh, no, they stomped him to death on the floor of his bedroom. So they curb stomped him is what they mean by trampled. Yes, that's exactly what they They strangled him until he fell down and then they jumped up and down in his head. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, The interesting part of this story, because this seems like a pretty normal kind of, you know, run of the mill regicide. Mm -hmm. Normal trampling. Um, But his... (laughs) Paul's 23-year-old son, Alexander I, was in the palace at the time. Uh, and to whom one of the assassins, General Nikolai Zubov, Zubov. burst into his room. Uh, Alexander must have thought he was going to be next. Like, yeah. you hear your father being grotesquely stomped and murdered down the hall. Yeah. And then they kick open your door. But instead of killing Alexander, they yelled at him, time to grow up. Go and rule. <laughs> and then they left. Or we'll be back for you. Yeah, well, see, I think this is a, this is a serious power play because it's going to be one of two effects, right? Either you're going to roll in there and be like, Hey, man, I could have fucked your shit up, but I didn't. So you owe me big time. And then the guy doesn't want to do anything against you because he's afraid that you'll like, you know, mount another coup. Right. Or it's going to go horribly wrong because you're going to like, I got to get rid of these guys because they just walked into the palace and killed my dad. They could do it to me anytime. Right. So, yeah. Well, then Napoleon invaded and that was not good times for the Russian people. (laughs) To say the least. Russian czars, man, they're good. Like, are we keeping track of which are, I hate that you are being too hard on, on us poor people for regicides, and I hate that you're being nice to the poor people regicides, because it, it seems to be almost evenly split. Yeah, we're kind of right down the middle on this one. It's sort of like 50-50. Yeah. This is a, uh, you know, rulers are, are between a rock and a hard place, right? you got to, like, find that fine balance, right? It's like the porridge. It seems oh, and like the beds. <laughs> wow, you went with a three bears reference. <laughs> you, gotta, you can't be too hot or cold. Uh, Ludwig II of Bavaria ruled from 1864 to 1886. He is sometimes referred to as the Swan King or the Fairy Tale King. Uh-huh. 
And one of the, I think one of the reasons for those nicknames were that one of the greatest stresses of his reign was the pressure to produce an heir, but it's come uh, to light that he struggled mightily with his sexual orientation. Okay. Uh, he kept a diary in which he recorded his private thoughts and attempts to suppress his sexual desires, along with private letters and other surviving personal documents. While homosexuality w- had not been punishable in Bavaria since 1813, the unification of Germany in 1871 under Prussian hegemony changed this. Uh, as an example, early German gay activist Karl Heinrich Ulrichs had to leave Bavaria, living the remainder of his life in exile in Italy, where evidently no, anything can happen. Bring on the gays. They know how they, they up property values, right? Seeking a cause to depose Ludwig by constitutional means, several rebel ministers decided on a rationale that he was mentally ill and unable to rule. They asked Ludwig's uncle, Prince Luitpold, to step into the royal vacancy once Ludwig was deposed. Luitpold agreed on condition that the conspirators produced reliable proof the king was, in fact, helplessly insane. So they went out and they got a panel of four psychiatrists. Yeah. Right? So what are you you thinking? You're like, okay, I'm going to go get these psychiatrists. They're going to examine Ludwig, and they're going to come to the conclusion that he's insane, and we'll lock him up in a rubber room and then move on with the aristocracy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, the psychiatrist led by Dr. Bernhard von Guden, uh, was chi- who was chief He's of the- a Guden. Yeah, well, he was chief of the Munich Asylum. Uh, they prepared a report that declared in its final sentences that the king suffered from paranoia and concluded, Suffering from such a disorder? Freedom of action can no longer be allowed and your majesty is declared incapable of ruling, which incapacity will not only be for a year's duration, but for the length of your majesty's life. No. The problem was, was that they actually never met with the king, except for Guden, who met him once 12 years earlier, and none of the four psychiatrists ever examined him. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good science. <laughs> uh, at 4 a.m. on June 12, 1886, Ludwig was taken to Castle Berg on the shores of Lake Stamberg, south of Munich, and told that he would be confined there. Sure. So where's the regicide? Well, on the next day, the very next day, on the 13th of June, around 6 p.m., Ludwig asked Guden to accompany him on a walk. So the doctor that commandeered the report that had him declared insane and yeah. taken off the throne, he, uh, he invited him to go walk with him through the Schlossberg Parkland along the shores of Lake Stamberg. Guden agreed, and King Ludwig told his aides, no attendant may come along. I'll stay at home. The two were last seen around 6.30 p.m. They were due back at 8, but never returned. After searches were made by the entire castle personnel, during a gale with heavy rain, at 11.30 p.m., the bodies of both the king and von Guden were found in the shallow water near the shore. Oh, my. And the king's watch had stopped at 6.54. So not very long after they were last seen. Ludwig's death was officially ruled a suicide by drowning, but the autopsy report indicated that there was no water in his lungs. So hard to drown with no water in your lungs. That's mm-hmm. an inventive drowning mm-hmm. in my yes. books. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, Ludwig was an incredibly swar- strong swimmer in his youth. Well, when you're a homosexual, you got to keep fit and trim, right? You know? It's true of us straight guys, too, man. <laughs> Just because you haven't figured it out, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely failing in that regard. Guden's body showed signs of blows to the head and neck and strangulation, leading to the suspicion that Ludwig, in fact, killed him, which under the circumstances, is almost justifiable. Many hold that Ludwig was murdered by his enemies while attempting to escape from Berg. The king's personal fisherman, Jakob Lydl, mm. states in notes which were found after his death, three years after the king's death, I was made to swear an oath that I would never say certain things, not to my wife, not on my deathbed, and not to any priest. Now I'm going to say them. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the state has undertaken to look after my family, if anything should happen to me, in either peacetime or war. According to Lytle's letters, he had hidden behind some bushes with his boat, waiting to meet the king in order to row him out into the lake where loyalists were waiting to help him escape. As the king stepped up to his boat and put one foot in it, a shot rang out from the bank, apparently killing him on the spot, for the king fell across the bow of the boat. However, the autopsy report indicates no wounds found on the body of the dead king. On the other hand, many years later, Countess Josephine von Verba Kaunitz would show her afternoon tea guests a gray loaded coat with two bullet holes in the back, oh. asserting that it was the one Ludwig was wearing at the time of his death. Oh, my gosh. So there's a lot of... This one is, like, steeped in mystery. But a king died, and under suspicious circumstances, given mm. that the official cause of death was, uh, was drowning, but he had no water in his lungs. Yeah. And then you got a, a, an after-death... Con- uh, um, Letter writing campaign, a, a a dear Abby, if you will, stating that he witnessed the king get shot. But you know, so uh, his castle Neuwanstein was the model for the Disney castle. 
Oh, really? Yeah. When you mm-hmm. wish upon a star. So uh, I went there uh, in the 90s uh, to see the castle, and I thought it'd be the sort of thing where you could just like walk around and look at things, but you could only take a guided tour. That was your only option. Oh, okay. And we waited for three hours to actually get the tour, and then we had a tour guide who must have given this tour 8,000 times because yeah. she could not be more bored. <laughs> yeah. So the tour was like this. This is the Svan room. The Svan was a favorite animal of the king. The king really liked Svans. You know, it was like that for half an hour, and then you were out. Right, right. Wow. Assembly line, like just like churn it out, get the tourists in and out. Well, technology's going to finally fix this. I think you're going to get those little headphones with oh, the guided yeah, tours, and true. it'll actually be well produced. And Maybe be starving tour guides, and then yeah, then less people <laughs> with jobs because of technology. Yay! James the first. Restored to the Scottish throne in 1425, after 19 years in captivity in England, he had been captured at sea by English pirates in 1406. Mm. He returned to Scotland with a large ransom to collect in order to pay for his freedom, so he had to raise extortionate taxes. James I's efforts to strike back at England also ended up in expensive military disasters. Uh, As a result, a conspiracy was hatched by a group of nobles to remove him. In February of 1437, plotters surprised James at the lodgings he kept at a Dominican nunnery in Perth. Forced at short notice to find a hiding place, the king ran into a forgotten privy, tore up a plank from the wooden floor, and concealed himself and a loyal lady-in-waiting in in the overflowing cesspit below. One plank? Wide planks, I guess. You know, they weren't two-by-fours. The privy had previously drained into an adjacent tennis court often used by James and fed up of losing balls in the sewer that had voided into it. James had had it bricked up. Oh, shit. So he'd actually... Literally. Yeah. (laughs) So he actually kept him... If if he hadn't bricked it up, he might have been able to escape through the drainage hole. But I love tennis so much. Uh, One of the said traitors, called Sir John Hall, descended down to the king with a great knife in his hand. James fought with him and being a powerful man, cast him under his feet with full great violence. Why didn't he use all those tennis balls that were down there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe he covered tennis balls. Maybe he did. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other guy brought a racket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had to knock him right back at him. Damn. <laughs> Maybe he like used the lady in waiting as a human shield or something. Uh, a second assassin then descended into the pit, only to be seized by the neck and hurled down too, so violently that... He defouled them both under him that all a long month after men might see how strongly the king had held them by the throats and greatly the king struggled with them for to have bereaved them of their knives by the which labor his hands were all forcoot, <laughs> meaning cut. <laughs> so he had a bunch of defensive wounds I bereaved on his hands. you of your knives. They're all stuck in me. <laughs> <laughs> so he had defensive wounds, but he'd actually like overpowered two assassins in a row. So Sir Robert Graham, the final assassin, jumped down into the sewer with a horrible and mortal weapon in his hand. Two L's on both on the ends of both those. So oldie English. That is that is the most impressive weapon. The, ex- uh, the extra L means extra lethal. No shit. Refusing James's plea for mercy, Graham ran him through with his sword. And the first two killers, having by now freed themselves from the ordure, the king was finished off by all three men. It was this writer concludes, reported by true persons that saw him dead, that he had 16 deadly wounds in his breast without in many and other in diverse places of his body. Mm. So we know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) You got it in the crotch. Wow. Yeah. So they, they stabbed him big time, probably like half for revenge. Like throw me down in the sewer. You bastard. You should be dead already. I shouldn't be lying in shit. (laughs) George, the first of Greece. As he approached the 50th anniversary of his accession, George made plans to abdicate in favor of his son Constantine immediately after the Jubilee celebration in October of 1913. In March of 1913, so a mere five months before he's set to abdicate the throne, he was shot at close range in the back by Alexandros Shinnes, who declared when he was arrested that he had killed the king because the monarch refused to give him money. The king died instantly uh, as the bullet penetrated his heart. Uh, You know what I... (laughs) It's like, that's like a really honest thing. It's not like it's for the people or it's because you're too nice to peasants. It's like, give me a you wallet. didn't give me money, man. <laughs> well, it's uh, like, uh, how impatient is this guy, though? Like, I mean, the king is about to leave the throne in like four months. I mean, this is the same kind of personality trait you have, like when a guy's honking his horn in a traffic jam, right? <laughs> that's like, you know what? You can't just wait a couple of months, you know, give the guy a break. Maybe the killer had, you know, terminal cancer or something. Oh, he needed, you'll hit so much time. If he needed money, couldn't he have sold his gun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the king probably would have bought that. It's like, 
Uh, I think you should buy my gun now. Hey, King, give me a dollar. No, I got a gun. I'll give you 20 for it. <laughs> uh, the Greek government denied any political motive for the assassination, saying that Shinnis was an alcoholic vagrant. Although my question is, why the hell does an alcoholic vagrant have a gun? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, Shinnis was tortured in prison and six weeks later fell to his death from a police station window. Yes, he fell. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. happened. <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> yes. I'm sure uh, police officers were convicted of a crime. Oh. I'm sure. Oh, he's just, there was some paperwork on the desk and flew out the window. was like, oh, I got to get that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm falling. <laughs> it, it was suicide. He felt terrible about all the torture <laughs> and took his life. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that. We'll be back when the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while undergoing buckyball therapy. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Or email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Soda Jerks, Joe Fulgham here from Caustic Soda Podcast. Just want to remind you that we're doing a live show on Sunday, May 12th. Yes, that's Mother's Day at the EXP Restaurant and Bar. You can find full details on that on our website, causticsodapodcast.com, or you can go check out the event listing on our Facebook page. Hope to see you there. And uh, then oh, the I money thought, goes wait to Wait a charity. minute. I thought Klingos didn't take prisoners. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's a family show. They, uh, and they, they adapt, you know. Yeah. yeah. After Stovacor was destroyed, they had to reevaluate how they handled things. You're thinking of Chrono Stovacor's. Oh my goodness, Stovacor's the Klingon heaven. You're totally right. Good lord, you're out. I am totally. (laughs) I've been shamed.